you know, that type of demographic, maybe you are coming to the office because you want to make friends and you want to be social and you want to interact. And I know for a fact, you know, we have this running joke about the team. We used to have this amazing vitamin water in the office and it sounds so trivial, but we all looked forward to coming in and having this amazing vitamin water every day. And so now we have a little emoji in Slack and we make this joke. It's like, should we make a new trophy out of this vitamin water? And it's just the little things that it's personal and what people care about. And if it's that social engagement and making connections and the remote environment doesn't do it for you, then yeah, I think people need to do a really hard look at how they're going to be the most productive. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now, that was Daniela Belair, and she's the head of sales at Shopify Retail. And in this episode, I talk with Daniela about a range of topics. I mean, first and foremost, we talk about the future of work. I mean, remote work for sales in particular. Shopify was perhaps the first major company to announce the end of what their CEO, Toby Lutke, called office centricity or office-centric work. And so we dig into what that means for Daniela's team at Shopify, but also what it could very well possibly mean for everyone else in sales. We also talk about changing the culture in B2B sales. And Daniela shares her story about how she was reluctant up front, even before she got into sales, to consider a career in sales because she didn't see anyone that looked like her. And that speaks volumes about the culture of various organizations. We get into the culture that she's building on her team. We also talk about one of my favorite topics in personal development. Daniela is a passionate, continuous learner, and we get into how she continues to invest in her own development, and we exchange ideas about how to get individual contributors, individual sellers, to make the same investment or the same type of investment that she's making. So be sure to stick around for all of this. Before we get to Daniela, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it, and if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Daniela, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Andy. Pleasure to have you. So uh, you've been sheltering in place north of north of the border, a little north of our border. So where have you been hiding out? <laughs> yes, coming in from uh, Toronto, uh, Canada, and I'm in a neighborhood called The Beaches here in Toronto, which is where I live. And uh, it's been great to be able to sort of tuck away in this community in the summertime over here. Yeah. All right. So I'm in San Diego. And when you think San Diego, you think, oh, beaches. No. <laughs> Toronto, <laughs> I tend not to think of beaches. So our are you actually like on the lake? Yeah, so I'm about a, a block away. Very fortunate, uh, about a block away from the water on the on the lake, and I get to go out there in the morning with the dog or go for a swim. They have a beautiful off leash dog park, and so uh, the beach here is called uh, uh, Woodbine Beach, and that's the one that I'm close to. And yeah, it's it's quite wonderful. Yeah, I know you don't think beach when you think Toronto. I think cold, <laughs> snowy <Yeah. laughs> uh, Canada weather. And we only get this weather for about two months a year. So I'm out there every morning those two months a year. <laughs> I, can, I can imagine. Yeah, I, I remember my uh, brother once had worked in North Dakota, which is you know, basically Canada. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and yeah, the locals described the weather as uh, two months of, what, 10 months of winter and two months of bad skating. 
Exactly. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> yes. it's brutal weather up here, but you know, you, you climatize. I was speaking to somebody else uh, on the West coast today and I was like, yeah, he's, you know, he said, Oh, I spent some time in Toronto and I couldn't handle it. And I said, it's cause you didn't climatize. You didn't stay here long enough. Uh, you know, you get a parka on and you can handle the cold weather. You can take public transit for yeah. a couple of years. Yeah. Well, I grew up in Wisconsin, so I'm, I'm familiar with all that. So not a not a big deal, but uh, so when you talk about swimming, now both you and your dog go swimming, or just the dog, or just you? Uh, we both do. So not every morning. Uh, we don't go every morning, depending on what meetings I have in, in, at that day. But he goes in for sure, and I'll sometimes go in with him, and you know we'll take a, a swim in the morning, or we'll do a <laughs> bit of paddle boarding together. We just started uh-huh. doing that. He's very anxious, as am I. So he sits on the front of the board. Yeah, sits on the front of the board and prays that I don't topple us both <laughs> over. <laughs> but it's been it's been really nice, and we just you know we renovated our home. We moved in here a few months ago, so we got really lucky uh, that you know in COVID world we were able to get our renovations done and move in because I think it yeah. would have been a much grimmer outlook. Uh, yeah, otherwise, yeah, for sure, for sure. So you know, I was doing research for this this interview. I I come across something on your profile that says you are a certified sales leader, not just a sales leader, but a certified sales leader, certified by the Canadian Professional Sales Association. So what is that certification? Yeah. So it's so funny. You know, there's, you like definitely did some investigation on my LinkedIn. Uh, some of that stuff has been there for quite some time, but really there's a, there's an organization, uh, CSP, and they essentially have coursework and, um, they look for a certain level of experience in like really sales as a craft. And, you know, I was able to articulate, you know, what I've done over the course of my career. Uh, I actually took a, a course with them at one of my other companies, just mm-hmm. you know, being, being a great sales leader. And, uh, they certify you as the sort of sales leader professional or, or sales professional. So you can do it as an individual contributor or a leadership, uh, in a leadership role. And this was quite some time ago that I'd done it. So funny that you brought it up, but yeah, it was great. It, it was one, like, gave a, a bit of a network and community for me to engage with other people within that network. Uh, and two, um, sort of allowed me to flex some of my muscles and share some of the success I've had in my career and, and why I should be certified as a sales leader. So, Well, which opens the door to the question is, should everybody be certified in sales? Yeah, so it's funny you ask that. The topic of sales as a craft and like being an expert as a salesperson has come up a lot uh, with my team and within my within my org. And I think, you know, I don't know if it necessarily needs to be a broader uh, company, external company that's certifying you. But I do believe that there should be some sort of foundational certification and being a salesperson and honing your craft and being great at your craft and not just as an individual contributor, but as a leader, you know, you should have some of the fundamentals under your belt. Uh, cause I think, you know, we, I may be biased here, but my opinion is like, we see a lot of salespeople today, uh, have a lot of really cool things on LinkedIn and, you know, they toot that they've done all these great things and like first salesperson at a startup, et cetera. Uh, but it's like, what did you really do? Right? Like how much of an impact <laughs> did you really have? And I want to know, those are the things you, you, I you sound like know. me. Yeah. You, yeah. you sound like me. That's my question. Exactly. Well, I mean, and this issue of certification comes up from time to time and, and I guess I was seeing it again recently in a couple of fronts. One is, is, um, Speaking of LinkedIn, you know, there's been some conversation about, yeah, there are people posting stuff on here who don't know anything about sales um, mm-hmm. or what these people believe, <laughs> you know, that 
don't know anything about sales. And then sort of combined with that is this whole discussion about, hey, sales, we don't get no respect, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you think, well, great, certification doesn't solve those issues in terms of, of uh, building the, the reputation of the profession, but it wouldn't hurt. And also, especially since, and this is a topic you know you've talked about on other podcasts I've heard you on is, is yeah you've continually invested in your own development and yeah I I have written about this is yeah hey lawyers in the United States got to spend I think in California it's forty hours a forty or twenty or forty hours a, a year in continuing education you know it has to be certified that they mm-hmm. they take it otherwise they mm-hmm. lose their license to practice um, why not sales. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a fantastic question, you know. And I know locally here, there's there's a, so Uvaro is a is a company a friend of mine had started, and they do sort of sales training, sales certification. There's you know there's a bunch of these sort of uh, how to be a good salesperson courses yeah. or foundation how to learn learn about sales. But yeah, it would be interesting of like a certification again. I I call it sales as a craft because I think there's fundamental. Uh, toll gates in like being a great salesperson that you, you know, you should be able to exercise and maybe it's, it could be banded as, you know, here I go, just creating it on the fly, but it could be, you know, years <laughs> experience in the role or the impact that you had, or, uh, you know, um, how many, how many, uh, close one deals you had and the type of revenue that you brought in or the markets or verticals you were in, you know, who knows what that could be, but, um, yeah, I mean, I'm not against it. You know, we think about these toll gates, even just internally at my company, we're thinking about uh, creating career pathing. And mm-hmm. so that begs the same question, you know, when do you earn the right uh, as a salesperson to progress into the next role, next opportunity, take on more right. more responsibility? And uh, I'm, I'm in the process of, you know, defining those things. So very similarly, whether it's an internal move or an external move, or, or you're tooting your horn on LinkedIn, it's, like, you know, what makes you an expert in what you're doing now and gives you the right to go do the next thing? Yeah. So, I mean, my uh, my thought would be, and this is another thing that struck me recently on LinkedIn, is is that uh, I have this feeling that of the, you know, hundreds of millions of people that are on LinkedIn, that roughly over half of them are sales consultants. And mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, okay, maybe we start certification here is that people that are selling their expertise in sales, which as a salesperson you are too to your employer, but a little different context is, yeah, maybe we need certification there. Could that be the most analogous to lawyers and doctors and hell? I mean, in the US, I don't know about Canada, but you know, people that cut your hair have to be certified. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. They need a a, a college or, or you know some sort of certification or diploma to do it. That is interesting. That is an interesting concept. Um, it's funny cause there's like two ends of this, of this pendulum and you know, it, it's the people who, um, have done it maybe for a finite amount of time, consider themselves experts, will just go on and, and start their own sort of consulting gig. Uh, and some of them are great, uh, and, and others not so great and that's okay. And, and then there's folks that have been doing this for eons, but maybe don't have as big of a brand cause they've been around for a really long time, but have you know deep seated expertise and now they're consulting. And so I think you can argue either way, but uh, I'm definitely intrigued by just the topic of uh, certifying, whether it be, you know, sales consultants or sales professionals. 
All right. Well, your name is now on my list. You're part of the revolution. <laughs> we'll, we'll, let, we'll let you know the next step. Okay. So let's let's talk about Shopify. Uh, and I know there may be a few people out there who don't know what Shopify does. So why don't you fill us in on that? Yeah, for sure. So uh, Shopify is an amazing, amazing multi-commerce uh, company and platform. So uh, we help merchants successfully build their businesses from you know e-commerce, physical commerce, which is my line of business in retail. Uh, we sell point-of-sale system. We also have other product lines across banking, fulfillment, capital. And ultimately, we really focus on arming the entrepreneurial uh, SMB merchant to be hyper-successful and have access to technology that big companies do to be successful. Uh, and we also work with some of the big guys in the world like Lint, uh, Staples, uh, uh, Gymshark is one of our, our awesome brands. And so really we're an all-commerce platform and, and loving every minute of some of the cool stuff that we get to do here at Shopify. So you serve both ends of the spectrum. It could be <clears throat> a retailer that that's, has their online component, a books and mortar plus their e-commerce or I imagine you also then support companies that originate in e-commerce. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, in my space, so focused predominantly on our audience, as we call it, is sort of uh, physical brick and mortar retail. So my focus is how do I help physical brick and mortar retailers adopt the point of sale system, but not just that, the full omni-channel experience. So bring them into our e-commerce suite, bring them into point of sale for physical selling. Uh, and then how they come to us is totally different. You might have some people who are e-commerce only, you know, like the Allbirds of the world looking mm-hmm. to get into physical retail and they're hyper successful in doing that or folks that have been traditional uh, brick and mortar looking to get into e-commerce and we can help with both got it i'm wearing my Allbirds right now so are you okay They're so yeah. comfortable yeah <laughs> i know it, i've got so sort of my daily shoe all right so you're head of head of sales north america for shopify retail so how how big is your team yeah, that's a great question. So uh, today the team is about 35 across four teams. So we've got a BDR team. We've got an outbound team that we recently launched in the last six months that's been hyper successful. And you know, most of our business is inbound, inbound marketing generated, and that, that makes up the other two teams. And so the, the outbound team focusing on, I imagine, sort of an account-based program. Yeah, so we're not doing the traditional sort of ABM strategy. We're trying a bunch of things, you know, sort of seeing what sticks because we're in our infancy. We know mm-hmm. who our target persona is, but now we're testing, you know, a hyper hyper local approach versus just taking this broad list of verticals we know we do well in and, and doing engagement. So we found a lot of success in reaching out to local merchants here in Toronto who aren't with the Shopify platform, but there's folks in their area that are. And that's been hyper successful in saying, hey, you know, uh, Andy down the road at Bed Bath & Beyond is using Shopify. Here's the success story. We'd love to have a conversation with you and see what you're using for commerce. That's opened a lot of doors. We're doing that with New York and and other key markets. But focused on major accounts or mid-market and above so or it's, you? it's S- we would classify it as smb externally so oh, okay. anyone oh. anyone that's sort of uh emerging brand um who's been around but we're not going after the the all birds of the world on the outbound strategy right now interesting yeah so you're still doing your more major accounts using your your uh, inside team exactly yes Ah, very interesting. Okay, mm-hmm. so you've gone through this big transition, and I'm going to start getting into this because back in was it March or so, your CEO Toby Lukey said, 
this pandemic sort of signals the end of office centricity. Mm-hmm. And I really may should spell that, say it more clearly, <laughs> office centricity. I made it sound like one word, office centricity. Um, so what did he mean by that? Yeah, so, you know, I think we've, for as long as anyone can remember, you know, getting work done and doing work was directly correlated to going into your office for the most part and, you know, starting your nine to five day. And and uh, we've, especially as a company and, and, and personally my experience in any, any organization I've worked with, we've really tried to optimize the office experience. And, you know, we've added in SaaS, we've added snacks and we've added gyms and, you know, we mm-hmm. wanted, we wanted people to feel good about putting in the time and, and maybe even staying later. And so we, we brought uh, catered lunches and for Shopify, we had a culinary team uh, who was making beautiful breakfasts and lunches for us as a group. There was a kitchen on every floor. You know, we really, as I like to say, judged it up in, in from an office perspective. You know, there yeah. was no expense spared, and it was a it's a beautiful experience. And the offices were world class. And I was downtown at the the newest office, and so that was a lot of fun. And even how we attracted talent was, hey, join us if you see a lot of the startups still do this. You know, hey, join us. We've got snacks. We've got catered breakfasts. Like these we've are ping pong. Exactly, we've got ping pong, and we had all those things. We've got Donkey Kong, and so. Um, that became a big piece of culture for not just our company, but a lot of companies. And so mm-hmm. we decided as a company to just shape the mold and think about uh, office centricity being not just like this physical place where we show up and we go to work every day, but creating a, a bigger, broader culture around work and changing to what we call a digital by default or digital by design model. And so a portion of Shopify has always been remote and it would be our guru land. So our support land has always been predominantly remote. So mm-hmm. we knew that this worked. We knew that a portion of our business did this really, really well. Just the commercial teams didn't do it. You know, the, a lot of the technical teams didn't do it. So I'd say uh, more than 80% of our company was still going into an office, 12 beautiful world-class offices around the world. And so we, um, as a company, just, you know, and I'll be transparent, uh, the public knew shortly after internally, we knew that this was happening. So, you know, we're a company that likes to move quickly, which I love. We're a company that Mm -hmm. likes to take challenges and problems head on. And we knew that this pandemic presented a a interesting scenario where we either kind of tip tap around when we go back, what that's going to look like, or we just say, you know, our results have shown that we're doing better than we ever have before. The, the teams have adapted, which they did. And we're going to be one of the first to just recreate what it is to go to work every day. And we're going to do it in this fully digital way. And that's ultimately where we are. And we figured more out since the public announcement, which I'm happy to share. But yeah, please do. I mean, because I mean, the first question, obviously, is is in the public announcements that it didn't say that this was permanent, yeah. But has it become permanent? It has. And so I think publicly we've announced since then that, yes, uh, Shopify is officially moving to uh, digital by design permanently. So this you know, oh, this really? means if you go to our website right now and, and you click on careers, you're going to see careers within the Americas or within AMIA. You're no longer going to see a career uh, listed for Toronto or Ottawa or New York or San Francisco. And so our pool of talent has opened up tremendously where people have access to be part of Shopify from across North America and beyond. And so that's really, really cool. And so, you know, we're now looking for the best people uh, all over the world, not just in our core markets or not just where we have physical space. 
And we've also had to rethink, you know, geographies. So that, that's the piece about the Americas and Amia, et cetera. We've also had to mm-hmm. rethink time zones, you know, something so simple. How do we get together when now people are on different time zones? Cause we're hiring EST, PST, we're hiring central folks. Whereas, you know, traditionally right. my team would have just been on the East coast. So now we've, we've, we've uh, implemented core working hours. And so uh, our business unit has implemented core working hours from 12 to 4 PM Eastern. And so, you know, Hey, you own your business, you work your hours per week to get your work done. Um, as long as you're on between 12 and four for core working hours, you can log on later at night. You know, you can work later in the day, you can work early in the morning. Um, we're, we're really giving flexibility to how people work, where they work, the times they work and, uh, physical geography. So we're also, uh, you know, if you think about historically sellers, you go into the office, it's really great. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You hire locally. Now we're telling our teams or I'm telling my teams, listen, rethink where you work from. You know, if you got a condo that's 500 square feet in downtown Toronto and it's not working for you for work from home, like it's okay to think about moving outside the city. A lot of folks now are looking to purchase homes outside of the city. And so it's creating a different lifestyle for, for work for these people. And it's also creating opportunity to travel. So uh, there's a lot of individuals who are going to be going overseas or going down to the States or, or coming up to Canada and working in a completely different country or province or state and, and get an uh, incredible new experience while still working for Shopify and working fully remote. Those are things that they weren't able to do with us uh, prior to this new digital okay. design. So the stepping back to the core hours. So the core hours are... This is when we're going to do our meetings. Mm-hmm. This is when we're going to do the our corporate. You know, I need to talk to you. I'm going to do my coaching in this hour. All these all these things happen in those core hours, and you will be available. Exactly. Okay. Um, well, when so in this whole work from home thing, which is is I think from your standpoint is is great in terms of the exact thing you talked about is now we can sort of recruit talent without regard to. Will somebody need to move to Toronto to be part of the team? So is the company thinking about, you know, take the person with the example of the 500-square-foot studio. <clears throat> what if they don't want to move, but, yeah, they think it might be better to rent a spot at a, a WeWork? Yeah, and and they can they can do that. So two things we're doing. One is uh, if they don't want to work in that space, uh, great. If they do, we're uh, providing a subsidy. So we're providing a certain amount of dollars where they can just go and and totally uh, zhuzh out their office space. So we've we've <laughs> given them a sizable uh, nominal amount, and they can go purchase you know great microphone, a sit stand desk, whatever they need. Right. Uh, right. I I got an I got a, a desk treadmill. I'll I'll make that Amazon plug right there. That was a wonderful purchase. So, uh-huh. you know, you can, whatever you need to sort of make your space uh, work friendly. And then, yes, to yeah. your point, um, you know, there's absolutely opportunity for you to, once re- restrictions unlock uh, due to right. COVID, like locally, they can go and work from wherever they like. That's totally their choice. They can get together with peers if they'd like to. Uh, we just won't be mandating that we go back to the office to have our meetings. We won't be mandating that we go back to the way that we were before where you have an assigned mm-hmm. desk, right? So there'll be some hoteling options that you can go in right. and, and our offices are being retrofitted to uh, be repurposed in more of a community hub space. So, you know, great spaces to meet with merchants, great spaces to meet with partners, great spaces to meet with your peers. Uh, but again, not forced scheduled uh, opportunities right. to meet more as you see fit, uh, more at your leisure. But if somebody 
wanted, again, the 500 square foot studio wanted that, they could come to the office. Yeah, they can go and they can hotel from you know one of the open spaces yeah. or they, they can work one of the social spaces or to your call out. They can do a WeWork or, or any of yeah. those. Yeah. So how is this for you? I mean, I know you're still early stages, but <clears throat> obviously some pretty massive changes relative to recruiting, hiring, onboarding, just managing. I mean, what have sort of been the big challenges you've run into? I know you said you transitioned pretty well, but... Uh, what were some of the unique things maybe you found that you hadn't expected? Yeah, like, you know, I think um, it's it's a fundamental change, even for me. And I don't fully think I've wrapped my head all the way around it. You know, we got lucky with spring, then summer. So, you know, I had the opportunity to work outside. Like, I don't know how we're going to react uh, as a group, <laughs> tra- transparently as a group from a mental health standpoint. And that's on my mind. You yeah, know, sales is, sales is a ten, tough ten gig. 10 feet of snow outside. Yeah, yeah. Sales is a tough gig. And, you know, it's, yeah, you know, you're always working towards a quota and you're always on for the most part. And, um, yeah, we want to make sure that the teams are healthy and, and they take time to unplug and they're not always, you know, have their, their laptop glued to them. So, those are things we're thinking through and I know I'm personally thinking through them and encouraging Mm -hmm. the team. And then, you know, obviously this isn't going to be for everyone, Andy, like, you know, this isn't going to be that that's just the nature of the reality we're in. Not everybody is going to want to work from home. And so I think, you know, it hasn't happened yet. And if my team's listening, I hope they come talk to me, but I would say, I don't expect that we're going to be a fit for everyone long-term. And that might mean talent that just, you know, doesn't want to be part of this type of environment um, or, or existing personnel that work for us that say, Hey, you know what? I really need to be in an office to be productive. And even this sort of hybrid model isn't for me. And, and I'd say that that's okay. I think we're going to attract the people we attract based on uh, how we look at digital by design moving forward. And it's going to work mm-hmm. really well for us, but it's just not going to work for everybody. So uh, we'll see how it unfolds. Yeah. It's like an additional layer of screening you need to do during interviewing about. Totally. Do you feel comfortable working on your own remotely? And it's, yeah, it is not for everybody. And it, it's interesting. It's, it's, I think also when you talk about sales and you get a lot of people that are younger yeah, and early parts of their career, maybe haven't developed. Yeah. The work habits because I haven't been in the workforce like this. It might be easy to say, "Oh yeah, I can handle remote," but then it's like, "Yeah, I hadn't learned some of the." I mean, I don't think I'm, I'm not sure I would have handled it well when I was <laughs> in 20, 22, 23 years old. I, I think I needed some of that discipline of going to the office and so on. But you know, now later I've worked on my own for twenty years, so it's fine. But yeah, you know, people are ready at different points of their their life. I think. Exactly. And that's exactly it. And you think to the type of profile, like traditionally our roles have been, you know, folks with either a little bit less sales experience than average, probably coming in with one to one to four years of previous sales experience, some with minimal. And, you know, that type of demographic can maybe you are coming to the office because you want to make friends and you want to be social and you want to interact. And I know for a fact, you know, we have this running joke amongst the team. We used to have this amazing vitamin water in the office and it sounds so trivial, but we all looked forward to coming in and having this amazing <laughs> vitamin water every day. And so now, sure. you know, Small we have things. a we have a little emoji in Slack and we make this joke. It's like, should we make a new trophy out of this vitamin water? And it's just the little things that if, if it's personal and what people care about, and if it's that social engagement and making connections and the remote environment doesn't do it for you, uh, then yeah, I think, you know, people need to do a a really hard look at how they're going to be the most productive. And 
I think for the most part, our team has adapted extremely well. We've thrown a lot of curveballs at them this year. Um, And so, yeah, I hope to continue that positivity and have that momentum, but I'm also a realist. So we'll see. Yeah. Well, so taking a step back and looking a little bit at, at your career. So you started as a recruiter. Yeah. So uh, it, it's funny because, you know, and I always share like my story. I, I feel like growing up uh, with an entrepreneurial mom and an, and an entrepreneurial family, like, you know, I was always, always there with her as early as I could to help, to help sell and uh, be part of the business. And so I, I feel like I've been selling for a very long time. And then all of a sudden, I don't know why I didn't realize that early on in my career that sales was a thing for me. It, it took me a couple stumbles to get me into the right the right path, but I'm glad it did. And so, to your point, I, I started off in recruitment, technical recruitment, uh, and and then sort of found my way into sales over time. Well, you said again in this interview, as one interview I was listening to, is that that. When you first started looking at sales, though, is it was sort of this? Whoa, maybe, maybe not, because you said you didn't see a lot of people like yourself there. And what do you mean? I mean, is it just because it was just a bro culture, or or what? Yeah, I think you know, early on, one there's two two frames of that. One, I was sort of finishing up university, and everyone around me who was in my immediate friend group or network, and the women around me were like, you know. HR seems like a really safe thing. A lot of them were going into <laughs> recruitment, right? Like right, you, at that right. age, you're like, am I going to have a family? You know, and I am in my t- early 20s making these decisions, which I had no right doing. I was totally uh, oblivious looking mm-hmm. back. But you know, you think, okay, well, yeah, most of my class is doing this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just do this. And so, uh, it was a peer of mine who was in my program. We both ended up thinking, yeah, we're gonna go do, we're gonna go do recruitment. That's a great idea. So we went and did recruitment and. And then over time, as I met more people in the in the ecosystem here, and um, my wife was actually doing recruitment as well, and she was recruiting mm-hmm. for sales roles, she said to me, like, you'd be great at sales. And then I started to look around, well, who's in sales? What does the culture look like? And I, I kind of thought, you know, to your point, like, yeah, there's definitely a bit of a bro culture early on, especially the companies I was looking at. I don't want to shame any companies, so I won't name them. But, uh, you know, some of the bigger, let's say bigger trailblazing SaaS companies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, wow, you know, they're they're selling in person. That was very intimidating. They're on the road a lot. At the time, that, that was the thing. You know, inside sales wasn't really a big thing as it is right. now in SaaS. Right. And I thought, oh, I have to travel. I have to go down to, you know, to the U.S. And, and that's going to be, a, you know, it's going to be a whole thing. I'm going to be gone six months or so out of the year. And so I thought, you know, okay, I don't really see anyone that either looks like me or acts like me or has my background. And so maybe it's not for me. And quickly over time, whether it was conversations or people I had met and companies I'd been introduced to, my mind was very much changed. And I'm very glad that it was because I've had a really amazing career so far. Um, it seems like, though, this is still an issue for many women even considering coming to sales, as you talked about early when you're you know, deciding about recruiting or being a recruiter and so on, is that, that it seems like the hardest part is, you know, we talk about, you know, we don't have enough women leaders in sales, mm. but we're not going to get enough women in leadership roles if we don't have enough women in management roles, and we're not going to get enough women in management roles if we don't just get enough women into sales, period. So yeah. we still have these, I'm sort of interested in how you handle this at Shopify, is, is how do we 
how do we get more women just to come into sales and to make that leap that you made? Yeah. And I think, you know, and Andy, I'll frame it as I don't even think of this, especially with what's happened in the world. I don't think of it only as women in sales. I think about it as, you know, people of diverse backgrounds, people right. of color. I right. think you can probably not to umbrella everyone in one group because everyone has differences and, uh, you know, everyone's very different, but I think there's just a lack of representation across all of those things. And so, um, personally, I can speak to that and then I can speak to Shopify. Personally, it's something I'm quite passionate about. So, you know, I'm involved in um, a women-led venture backed. Uh, so CEO is, is a company that um, mm-hmm. is fully funded by women and then they support women-led ventures. So that's one way. I do a lot of mentorship. I do it through Bravado. I do it one-off. I encourage anyone that reaches out to me. Here we go. My LinkedIn's gonna going to blow up. But I do encourage when, when individuals reach out to me, whether they're male or female, uh, over LinkedIn, like, you know, Hey, if I don't have an opportunity for you or you're not the right fit, I'm happy to give you some guidance if I can or mentorship. So I do try to do a lot of that. I do think it's really important as somebody, uh, being female, identifying as lesbian, which I do, mm-hmm. um, to bring up other women around me and, and help them. And, and so I'm really proud of that. So I think, you know, I don't even have the full stats on my, my direct team, but it is fairly, uh, it is fairly diverse in the sense of women to male um, percentages, and we would like to diversify that even more and bringing in uh, folks of color and and from other demographic backgrounds. And then within within Shopify, we're doing a t- we're doing a ton of stuff, or we're trying to do a ton of stuff. Like you know, even within my leadership team, we are taking a and this is a bit of a cliche because I feel like it's been around for a while. This is nothing new, but uh, we're doing an anti bias training as a leadership mm-hmm. group. So we right. facil- have a facilitator coming in. We want to make sure when we interview people, meet with people all the way through, uh, promote and coach people through the organization that we're taking this very unbiased lens. And so we'll be doing that as a group very shortly. And that's offered at the company level. Uh, so yeah. that's fantastic. And then we're also looking at hiring in a different way, which this is a bit of a controversial topic in the sense of, do you hire for experience? Do you hire the best candidate or do you hire for potential and give people opportunities that they may have never been given before because, Mm -hmm. you know, because of of different reasons. And so for every candidate, uh, and I can speak for my group, every role that we post, we're looking at candidates, uh, a, a woman candidate, a male candidate and a woman or, and a candidate of a diverse background of color. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is now a a mandate that we are are rolling out. We want to make sure that we practice what we preach and that we're giving everybody a fair opportunity. And, you know, we're trying to diversify our team as much as we can. So this mandate, how do you how do you enforce that? I mean, not, I mean, I understand how you could enforce it, but I mean, you have to get people into the pool, right? Exactly. Um, we and do. This is, this is sort of, yeah, I've used this reference before and talking to people about this is, you know, the National Football League has the Rooney rule where they, you know, if you have a head coaching opportunity open, they have to interview, you know, uh, candidates, people of color, certain, you know, they just have to interview people of color for the, for the role, but they don't actually have to hire anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, as a result, you know, the number of black head coaches in the NFL is the same today as it was 17 years ago. Um, so they can say we've made progress, but they really, on one hand, haven't. So yeah. how do you, how do you, let's just back this earlier point. So how do we get people, let's say, into the pool to, to consider? Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is something I thought about as well. It's like, you know, we don't want to inflate 
uh, and put false false positives in who we interviewed just to to get click that box. So two things we're doing: we're committed to delaying a hire to make sure that we've captured strong candidates amongst you know every every demographic. So that's one mm-hmm. thing. Like we're mm-hmm. genuinely going out if people don't organically apply and looking for strong candidates who we think right. would be an amazing fit. I think that's so important. The second piece to that, I can't share the the data publicly, but we do look at on a quarterly basis representation across. So it's anonymous. We do surveys mm-hmm. internally and within mm-hmm. our group, we do surveys to see, you know, um, what people's demographics are and their background. And so we're looking to move the needle on on those metrics and so that's you know individuals of color uh individuals uh, of, of different genders and, and we want to drive those things in the right direction so right. i would say we'll know if we're not successful in a quarter or two quarters uh, if we haven't moved those percentages per bucket and i'm really fixated on those numbers as a as a leader with the mm-hmm. bills, and i want to drive those things but to my point earlier I also don't just want to click a box. I want to make sure I'm going out. And so I've, one of the things I've done is I've helped some of the go-to-market uh, individuals and myself learn how to actually prospect great talent on LinkedIn, because that's not really a skill every leader has. And so yeah. for me, it's really no about on it. go, go in, you know, find the best, best talent, but make sure we're getting a vast representation across, across what the world really looks like. Right. Right. Well, yeah, and I think this is interesting. You have your three criteria: uh, was experience, potential. What was the second one? Experience, potential, and God, I forget the last one now. That was something <laughs> I totally. That was, those are my own opinions, by okay, the way. So, these are not Shopify's yeah, yeah. opinions, but yeah. Well, but yeah, but I think that that oftentimes hiring managers hide behind this experience thing. Yeah, well, for is, sure. And this is what one of my big pet peeves is. Yeah, it's always been in sales back when I got started. Years and years ago, is uh, oh, we're hiring a Rolodex. It's like, you know, <laughs> it's useless. I never, never saw a person come in and be able to make good use of their Rolodex if they were. That's what they were selling. It was like always overblown, um, because especially if they're changing industries, right? Oh, hundred percent. And and so it's like, yeah, it became that they were able to say to justify to their management as well. You know, this person had the right experience. I don't understand why they didn't work out, as opposed to another more interesting candidate. Maybe it was had great potential, mm-hmm. but they didn't. They felt they were taking too big of a risk, and, yeah. and this is a theme that I keep coming back to, and time and time again, of talking to guests. Is it seems like so much of the way we manage is based on fear, and so no one wants to take even reasonable risks. It seems like. Because it's easier to say, well, I, I followed the guidelines or I hired the person with the right experience or whatever. Yeah, it's so fascinating because um, I've historically the lens I've taken uh, prob- prior to, I would say, the last three years was, yeah, we're going to, you know, we're going to hire for experience. We're going to hire the most experienced person, you know, not not exactly to what you called out, Andy, but similar. Sure. They're going to come in here with a bunch of con- ton- context, a, a good network, you know, lots of contacts. They're going to come in here. They're going to crush it. And in the last three years being in the startup world and, you know, in the last year being with Shopify, my mind has fundamentally changed in the, in the fact of hiring for potential. And mm-hmm. that's not to say that's all I do. And that's all we do at Shopify. Sure. It's what, what you're waiting 
but we're looking at that and we're weighting that in. And so I would say, you know, there's everyone within, within my org wasn't just hired because they had the most experience of all the applicants. Uh, but, you know, a lot of them were hired because there's a tremendous amount of potential within them. We're in a high growth environment. You know, we talk a lot about growth mindset at Shopify. Mm-hmm, we're, mm-hmm. we're iterating and trying things and not everything works, you know, and my team can attest to that. We try things that don't always work and we're transparent about it and we learn from it. And so we need these type of individuals who are highly engaged in learning and self self-development. And I talk a lot about that on other podcasts who will invest yeah. in themselves to get better, not just somebody who's going to come in and go, I've been amazing at this job for years. I'm going to come in and do what I've done for the last five years yeah. uh, because yeah. it doesn't work in our model and it just doesn't work for us. Yeah. I mean, you ask them, well, what was the last sales book you read? <laughs> what, what, you, what sales book? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, no, I know what I'm doing. Well, I mean, you sort of taking a little bit of different tack on that. I mean, you talk about you still invest in your personal development. Um, yeah, you, I heard you say you're taking a course on data analytics or how to be a better writer. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. Is is so what's what's reasonable to expect of individual contributors or managers that work for you? What's what's a, what's a reasonable expectation in terms of how they should be investing in their own development? Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's really interesting because I think there's uh, this culture of, especially, you know, amongst some of the more individual contributor reps now, it's, you know, and I'm speaking from my own experience, but it's like, okay, what's the career path? How do I get there? What do I do? And it's really asking for me to hand them the map. And of course, we're going to give you some, some guidelines. We're going to give you how we measure you. You know, we're going to look at skills, habits, metrics, we're going to look at all those things. But ultimately, development for both individuals and leadership is really in your own control. And that's like a magic thing that I've unlocked in the last couple of years in executive roles where it's like, I can go out and be as good as I want to be. I don't need to wait for somebody to tell me, do Mm -hmm. these three things and we'll promote you. No, 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 no. Go out, you know, find great problems to solve. Learn how to solve those problems, whether it's through your network. And so this is always what I encourage, you know, be be in the network. Try to learn from other people that have done it. Plagiarize, redo it. I don't need you to come to me with some unique idea. I just need you to tell me how we're going to get it done and do it the best way possible. And so I, I do try to push for that. I also do try to push and think. And I had a conversation today with one of my managers. And he'll know who he is. And I said, you know, hey, we're at mid-year. We want to roll in some intended outcomes. We want to think about what your goals are for development for the back half, you know. And then Mm -hmm. the the question to me was, well, what do you think I should work on? And I said, I will give you, I will absolutely give you my feedback. But first, I want you to put some actual thought in it. Take some quiet time. Go think about it. Before I start recommending courses and programs and, you know, things to do in the job at Shopify, I want you to think about where you genuinely think you want to develop where your gaps are. And then we'll start prescribing things to help you get get there. And I'll give you my, my two cents as well. So for sure, I'd like to see them uh, at, the, at the leadership level own a little bit more of their own development instead of yeah. asking me to prescribe it. And so Absolutely. I feel a lot of that at the individual contributor level, they always want the, the prescription. And so we're having a ton of conversations within my group now on go out and learn new things and try new things. And we have a, a monthly theme with enablement on sales skills they're developing. You know, we have opportunities for them to get involved in projects to sharpen cross-functional skills. There's so much cool stuff, right? But I can't prescribe uh, no. everything. I want them to take a, a driver's seat. And I do that in my own learning. 
you know, there's nobody that's telling me to go and take this course. Uh, there's a course yeah. I'm going to be, be taking about emotional intelligence in a couple weeks. And maybe another one I'm thinking of taking with a peer of mine on running business experiments, great business mm-hmm. experiments through strategizer. And it's like, nobody tells me to go do those things, but I'm trying to solve big problems in the business. I want to be great at my role and I want to level up. So I'm going to go yeah. find things and I'm going to bring them to my team and tell them about it. And so that's the same approach I like to see my leadership team take. Yeah, and I I maybe would have a different response to your manager. You're much nicer than I probably would have been. Um, <laughs> which is my response would have been, well, okay, here's the problem with this approach and this you know thought process you're you're not devoting to this is that it's your responsibility to have this conversation with the people at work for you, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's. Yeah, you know, it goes all the way down. As you know, you as a manager, you have to work with your individual contributors and say, "Okay, what are your goals? What are your dreams? What do you want to accomplish? Totally. How can I help? How can I help you achieve that?" So, all right, we're just about to get to the end. I've got a, a new thing I'm doing on the show. Some standard questions. Actually, it's not new. I used to do these uh, for like the first 400 episodes of this podcast, and then we stopped. But now we're we're coming back and doing these. So, uh, sort of some rapid fire questions and answers. So the first one is I'm going to give you eight word pairs and you're going to choose one of the words that first comes to mind when I say it. And we'll go through these real quickly. All right. Okay. Here we go. Buying or selling? Selling. Skills or mindset? Skills. Training or coaching? Coaching. Outbound or inbound? Outbound. Persuasion or influence? Influence. Pipeline or win rate? Win rate. Face to face or zoom to zoom? Zoom to zoom. (laughs) All right. Those are great. So two last questions. What's the last sales book you read? Oh, God. I'm actually just a friend of mine wrote Sell the Way You Buy. Oh, Oh, David Primer. Yeah. Shout out to David Primer. David. He was on the show just a couple months ago. Oh, was he? Yeah. So I'm just, I ordered it a while ago. Oops. And just getting through it now, but uh, some really good stuff. Just getting started with it. Yeah, it's smart, smart book. Good guy. All right. Last question. Favorite podcast of the non-sales variety? Oh, boy. Uh, there's a really great podcast. Let me grab it because I'm in. Uh, it's about deep work and remote work. And uh, oh. we, we've it's called Distributed with Matt Mullenweg, co-founder of WordPress. Uh, so that's oh, okay. been, that's been really cool talking about distributed teams and he's got 25 mm-hmm. episodes, just really, really cool stuff. Very good. All right. I, I wrote that one down. Well, Daniela, thank you very much for spending the time with me today. Thank you. This was amazing, Andy. I really appreciate it. And Andy, you yeah. aged yourself. You said for uh, episode 400 out of 700, it sounds like you've right. been at this. 800 for plus. Oh God, that's amazing. Well, thanks for We've- having me. I'm really excited about it. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm ever so grateful for your support of this program. And I want to thank my guest, Daniela Belair, for sharing her insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you could also leave us a rating or review and let us know how we're doing, well, we'd appreciate that. You can do that all on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thank you for your help. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.